What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies. I am joined today by Rob, and we are here to talk about Black Widow, which is recently uh, released to all on Disney+, Plus. originally a premiere access title, but now free to view. And something that I was excited to go back and watch just to see how I felt again after my original viewing when it first released. So, Rob, welcome back. Uh, thank you. I was. Um, this is actually the second movie I saw in theaters after everything kind of opened back up. And like you, I was very excited to kind of go back and, and do a rewatch on this because I know when my wife and I walked out of theaters, we walked away really excited and really happy, uh, really enjoying our time. And, and I kind of was thinking in my head, all right, this is maybe this is in my top 10 until I sat down and looked at my top 10 and went, oh, wait, no, those are all like really, really good. And I, I just knew that I needed to rewatch it again and, and be able to think about it a little more critically before um, before I really had the chance to kind of figure out where, where I ranked it. So I, I was really excited that we were getting a chance to do this, gave me an excuse to rewatch it and, uh, and, and enjoy the great moments of this, uh, while being able to kind of acknowledge that there's some, some things that don't work. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that I'm super excited to get into. You know, my experience with this, my first experience was actually really fun. I didn't go to theaters to see this. Um, what we did is actually, uh, myself and my staff for work, uh, one night after the store was closed, we actually watched this on premiere access and we stayed inside the showroom and set this up on a projector screen, 80 inch. And we watched the movie together, uh, as a store activity, which was a lot of fun. Um, so I was, I was curious to go back and watch this movie without that experience because at the time, I think it was more of a, I really enjoyed the company that I was with. Um, and I wanted to get a second opinion really on how I felt about this movie. I, I will definitely say that it has changed um, from this second watch to what my first watch was. And I think that's because of the experience that was involved with that first watch. Yeah, I, I got to say, just sitting in a theater and, and keeping in mind, you know, I mean, look, there's it's feasible. Somebody could be listening to this like 10 or 15 years in the future and and trying to wonder what the heck we're talking about. To, <laughs> to think about how long theaters were shut down because of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, especially, Matt, where you and I live in New York, where, you know, we're one of the states that, you know, for better or worse, um, was really strict on lockdown. Oh, 100%. Um, it was 100% shut down. Yeah. Um, and, and other states were opening up uh, in ways that New York wasn't. And one of the things that New York was really, really uh, tight on was movie theaters, which, uh, again, there's, there's a lot of restrictions and things like that that you can debate if they were effective or not or good ideas or not. But to me, I just I never saw what the I never saw what the risk of sitting in a movie theater was. You can you can easily socially distance. You can require masking and, and all that other stuff. I, I just didn't understand it. And, and frankly, um, California, New York's decision to maintain the lockdown you know, with movie theaters really hurt the film industry as a whole, because if you don't have New York City, if you don't have Los Angeles for those markets to see your movie, 
um, it's hard to make your movie successful in theaters. You know, Tenant tried to open. Uh, there's a couple other films here and there that tried to have a theatrical release, but um, a lot of them either went to streaming on demand like Trolls did, or they went to a premier access model um, like Wonder Woman 1984 did. Uh, but Disney kept sitting on this one. And they sat on it and they sat on it and they pushed it back. They pushed it back to make sure they could get a studio release. And and I've been on record as saying that I believe that they chose that because they think this movie was was really good and that they were going to make a ton of money on it. Um, I also think there was some sensitivity to the fact that it's it's really the it's not the first female led movie because we had Captain Marvel prior to this, but it's it's the female-led superhero movie we should have had a long time ago. And Marvel and Disney took a lot of heat um, by fans, by people in the industry for waiting this long to give Black Widow, a very popular character, and Scarlett Johansson, a major movie star. Like, how much bigger can you really get than her, especially right now, uh, her own uh, solo film? And I think there was a little bit of a sensitivity of we don't really want to screw this up by putting it on streaming only and taking away the opportunity for a box office. Um, the decision to go simultaneous premiere access and release in theaters is certainly a controversial one. I read recently they just finally settled out of court because um, Scarlett Johansson, you know, filed a lawsuit and, and I, I didn't really pay it. I don't know if you paid attention to that story, Matt. I didn't really particularly follow that story all that closely. It just wasn't something that, that really captivated me. Um, but I know that it's, you know, it's settled recently. Um, and, and you can debate whether or not that was a good idea or not. Um, you know, I, I uh, you know, Harrison can cover that on a monthly update, <laughs> you know, but um, I really felt like they were they were holding off for a true theatrical release um, because they, they thought they had something. Yeah, no, I mean, 100 percent. I, I feel like they did. And that's, you know, I, I won't get into it here, but I feel like that's one of the biggest problems I have with this movie is that is that wait time. So, you know, with that being said. Why don't we? Jeez, I, I, that was almost like the teaser trailer of how we how we kind of feel. <laughs> but you know, why don't we take a quick minute here, get to the teaser trailer section, and let's talk about how you actually feel about this movie. Two minutes, spoiler free, before we start really breaking this thing down. Rob, I'll let you go first. Sure. So um, we had heard leading up to this that the film was going to take place post-Civil War. It's going to take place in between those events and then the events we see in Infinity War and kind of flesh out some of those details. And anytime you have a film that, especially in a series that serves as a prequel or kind of is out of sequence, um, there's always a risk there. Certainly, I have some critiques of some of the things they did in Captain Marvel, uh, some things that don't actually line up properly or makes you go, huh? Um, and and that's present here. Um, it, there's definitely some things you go, wait a second. Well, why? where did this character disappear to? Why do we never see this person again? Or why wasn't this more of a thing? You know, there's certainly those questions you can ask yourself. Uh, but we had also heard that this was going to be very much in the vein of Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier, which is a film you and I both absolutely love. It's, it's one of my favorite Marvel films. I think I have it at number two. I don't have my list right in front of me. Um, but you do get a lot of that. You do get this, this spy action thriller mixed in with some comic book elements. 
I don't think they work quite as well as what we got in Captain America 2, but there's absolutely a lot of just those great action thriller, Jason Bourne, you know, Mission Impossible, James Bond style moments in this movie that work just as well as other other films in that genre that are just as much fun. Um, to be honest, there's there's parts of this, and Matt, you kind of alluded to it, and I'll just go ahead and start talking about it now. As you watch this movie, especially watching it now, knowing there's a major rift between Scarlett Johansson and Disney. And look, money cures everything. So I'm not saying that can never be. They really don't leave the door open to the character being able to be introduced again in the future. Um, So some of the relationships that work really, really well in this um, that you want to see more of. And that's, that's the real beauty of something like the MCU that we have never seen before. We've never seen 23, 24, you know, what are they up to 25 or 26 plus the TV shows interconnected films with sharing a common cinematic universe like this. And that's the beauty is seeing those relationships develop, you know, Steve and, and Tony, don't trust each other, don't like each other. They they work together as teammates. They, they unite around a common goal. They become friends. They become teammates. They become brothers. And then it falls apart. And then it comes back and they have to trust each other again, despite everything that's been in their past, despite all the things that have happened between them. You know, like you don't get that in just a trilogy the way that we do in this. So all of those relationships that work, it's just sad knowing that the character's not coming back. The character's is gone. And it's, it's, again, it's a big miss that this film released in 2021 instead of 2014 or 2015. Yeah. You know, I, I certainly have some other uh, issues with that. You know, this is a movie for me that is too little, too late. Uh, uh, Rob, we kind of talked about this a little bit in our private conversations, but this to me has the solo syndrome that Star Wars had. Uh, if this movie would have come out at the time frame when it should have, I think it would be, at least for me, I'd be fonder of this movie because there are some really good things about this movie. But for me, you know, I don't, I'm not concerned about would I like to see her back. Yes. But looking at it just from a movie standpoint, I'm, you know, I'm okay with like, okay, this character as we know it is gone. This was supposed to be, you know, in between Civil War and Infinity War. But some of the notes that they hit in this movie, I think would have, you know, for me, they would have hit much harder had it been released in the right window because we've had so many things happen after, to again, this is my opinion that have happened after Endgame that are far more interesting than anything that happened in Black Widow, whether it be the TV shows, whether it be the movies. There are things that have come out that were much more interesting for me in the larger scale of the universe that's still ongoing. To me, you know, you don't have to watch Black Widow to know anything about what's going on well, no, sorry, there's one part. Um, but there's so much of Black Widow minus an end credit scene that you could skip that you don't need for the rest of the MCU. And and that's where I think my biggest problem lies for this movie. But without getting into spoilers, 
Uh, I'm going to leave that as my my teaser trailer portion of the show uh, because I think there's a lot of things that I, I want to get into because I know you and I have some probably pretty different thoughts on this movie, especially based on what we talked about our rankings are uh, for this film in the greater MCU. Before we jump into the next segment, Matt, I just want to ask you, what do you think the benefit truly was of launching this movie post Endgame instead of launching it where it actually happened chronologically, you know, basically setting it right after Civil War? What was, I mean, really, what's the benefit? Why, why was this decision made? Is there a benefit to doing it? Or, I, or like what we've kind of said, is there only negative aspects of doing this instead of releasing it chronologically? I, to be honest, I don't know what the benefit is because I'm, I have not read anything about this. So if somebody out there is listening and wants to write in and and shut me up, please do. I think that end credit scene was shot after. I don't think that the end credit scene in Black Widow was originally what was thought of. So I don't know what the benefit was unless they they didn't want to release this because they didn't want certain things to be spoiled from TV show like from some of the TV shows on Disney Plus, uh, which we can get into later. I see no benefit to holding this movie. Now, granted, you know, you look at numbers, it did 80 million at the box office, which until Let There Be Carnage was a a pandemic record. Um, But it also made $60 million on Premier Access. So let's say it didn't come out on Premier Access. That's a $140 million opening, you know, that this movie has, even if you just take those together. That's that's impressive. That's a good opening for a solo movie that this is her first time in, you know, the main spotlight. So again, whether it be they wanted to you know, they thought they were doing it justice to give her, you know, uh, a bigger audience. Cause I know there was, you know, Rob, there was some backlash also too at Endgame for how they treated her death and how the team, you know, there was only like the one scene of them grieving and things like that. I, I know there were some people that were pretty upset with how her death was treated. So I don't know if that ties into it. Like, geez, we got to give her the spotlight in the theater, everything like that. Um, but I, I yeah, don't there's... see a benefit to, to why this was delayed time and time and time and time and time and time again. It seemed. <laughs> Yeah, there's um, there was certainly the conversation about fridging, which if you're not familiar with that concept, it's only something I've been aware of for the last couple of years. And that's basically um, a, a female love interest gets killed only for the purpose of, you know, sending the male protagonist on his journey for whatever, you know, whatever reason. Um, and there was certainly <clears throat> the conversation that that's what was happening in Endgame, that her death was a waste of the character. Um and that at the end of Endgame, we have this incredibly somber moment where there's the funeral for Tony. Now, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm sitting in the theater and I've got tears in my eyes at that moment. Like, literally, and I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. Like, it's, it oh. was just so well done. Yeah, it was. I saw that movie twice in the theater. Like, after I saw it the first time, the second time I went and saw it, I went with 
uh, my two sons and I went with my mom. They hadn't seen it yet. We went together as a family and that like part was coming up and I just looked over and every single one of them was like the whole theater was like nobody at that time was like, I don't cry. I'm tough. It was like, <laughs> Tony, no. Like, yeah. Um, so that's, that happens. And you know, black widow's death is, is not treated the same way. Um, so there's, there's definitely something to that. And even I remember seeing something, Mark Ruffalo, uh, had some fairly, uh, public, uh, statements he made on social media to Disney and to Marvel saying that he was, he was on their, you know, Marvel's uh, website looking for black widow merchandise for somebody in his family. And that like really wasn't available. Um, like kind of calling them out for their lack of support of their female characters. Um, so there's, you know, it's kind of been all over the place with, with their treatment of the character. I mean, I think you could have launched if if you if you would have given us as Disney, if you would have given us a Hawkeye and Black Widow movie, like a buddy cop style movie, almost kind of like what we got with with uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like if you would have given us that style of movie for just those two characters right after we meet both of them in uh, in the first Avengers film, sign me up. I want that. I I would have loved to see that. I would have loved to see some of the events that were referenced in that movie that were also referenced in, in the black widow film, uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen more about why they have this relationship that they do, uh, that we see more of in, in future films. Um, I would have definitely loved to have seen more of that or just the two of them on missions together. That would have been a blast. And for whatever reason, we never got it. Yeah. Um, hundred per hundred percent, hundred percent agree with all of that. You know, with that being said, let's let's really start talking and getting into spoilers here for Black Widow. So this is where we're going to go from seat to screen, what works, what doesn't. And I think, you know, it would be an injustice really to not bring up, at least for me, to start my topic with the family dynamic is what works in this movie. The the actual plot is not very interesting to me. I'm not really invested, don't really care. But boy, do they get me in some of these scenes with the family, especially when they come back together. And Rob, take it away because you you say it so well. Natasha Romanoff's sister, the actress. How do you pronounce her name? (laughs) It's Pugh, Florence Pugh. Um, I I had to look at it. I, I had to make sure I looked it up just to be sure I wasn't I wasn't going to dork that up because um, it's not easy. And I wanted to. And by the way, I wanted to make sure I got it right because she's fantastic. She is. Um, yeah, cannot she's be said that right. She is great. And especially that scene where they're sitting at the table and she's like, don't like do not tell me that. Like, do not tell me that the best part of my life was like was false like how like how dare you do that to me and you can tell that it was it was real for her it meant something to her when natasha tells her like you're not like you weren't really my sister you know she kind of like she really quickly snaps back with well and the avengers aren't your real family you can tell that means something to her that hurts her that these people 
in that conversation and in other conversations, um, you know, say that that was fake. That wasn't real when she takes it very, very seriously. She is a major highlight of this movie. I can't wait to see more of her. Like if there's anything that I take from this movie, it's we need more of her in the MCU going forward. And it looks like we're going to get it. It certainly does seem that way. And, and now that we're in spoiler territory, when you analyze what's going on in that end credit scene, um, it, it definitely feels like she could be uh, a character in the Hawkeye show that's coming up. Um, if not there, certainly in the future. Um, I kind of wonder, and, and we've kind of wondered about this with the events of Falcon and the winter soldier. Um, do, do we get the Thunderbolts as a team somewhere? You know, there's, there's enough characters out right. there that, that fit the, the bill. Will the Thunderbolts uh, make an appearance? Uh, could be kind of interesting. Um you know, if they decide to do that and, and certainly she could be a factor in there as well. Um, but yeah, Matt, when you're talking about the family dynamic, um, it's, you really think about, they were only a family unit for three years and the girls were young. Um, a lot's happened to all of them since then. So it is almost a little bit of a stretch to imagine that, you know, 20 years or more later or whatever, you know, 30 years, possibly whatever that time frame actually is, um, that any of those relationships still matter to that extent. So it's, it's kind of a little bit of a stretch, I think, but you, you kind of remove that and you just go with the assumption that they did actually care about one another and have all had terrible things happen to each other since then. And maybe they look back with real nostalgia that that was the last time maybe any of them were truly happy. Cause it certainly seems that way because right after that, moment um there's some real terrible things that happen to all of them uh certainly the girls have this this terrible you know the the scene where those girls are being taken it's really messed up and what makes it even more unsettling is this haunting version of smells like teen spirit that just really messes with you i mean it's like try to watch that scene again and not have your stomach just flip on top of itself like good luck with that um so you could kind of make the case that it would work, but yes, the family dynamic, every scene that Yelena and Natasha are in together works. They are fantastic on screen. One of the best two pairings, in my opinion, in all of the MCU, there's, there's not a time they're on screen together and it doesn't work. It, it's very much like how Bucky and Sam worked so well together in, in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series. Just every scene they're in together, when they're fighting, it works. When they're, you know, when they love each other, it works. It just, every time they're on screen together, it works. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely works. There's some pretty good humor between the two of them. Um, but again, like... <sighs> that's also part of the problem is because some of the things that work, you know, they might've had, I don't know. It, it's weird because, okay, we're in spoiler territory. We find out she gets her vest because of her sister um, that she has an infinity war. Maybe that hits, di- you know, maybe that hits different, but, you know, looking back on some of those things that work and some of the humor, again, I, I just feel like this movie missed the boat on certain things because to me, you know, what she's doing in between this movie and, Infi- you know, between Civil War and Infinity War, 
the story is not all that interesting to me. Um, some pretty good action scenes. Uh, I, I think the action for the most part is very well done minus some of the ending. I think there's some, some choppy editing towards that end fighting scene. Um, especially jumping, you know, off of that floating city. Um, but yeah, it's it's a case of too little, too late sometimes with some of the scenes here, and you know how she got to to be where she is, to Infinity War, and and things like that. So, I, I guess that's a little bit of what doesn't work for me. Um, before I, you know, would get into, you know, what really doesn't work in in, in this movie. So I'll, I'll let you just kind of piggyback there a little bit. Yeah. So I think one of the things that helps this movie work a little bit better for me, and and I've kind of adopted this with with several other entries in the MCU is just sort of head canon, if you will. Um, For those of us that do read the comics uh, and and have enjoyed them over the years, like you have to kind of keep in mind that it's I don't want to say it's a loose continuity, but it doesn't always have to necessarily line up neat and perfect um, to, to make sense. So like Batman is in about four or five books a month. Like he's got three or four of his own, depending on what they're publishing at that time. And then he also appears in justice league. And then he appears in four or five other things. And then he'll show up to yell at red hood and, you know, like he'll make appearances, all these other places. And you're like, when does dude ever sleep? Like he's, he's like constantly all over the place. And and then he also shows up in Justice League, too. So it's like, how does he have time to save the world from this, save Gotham from that? You know, all of this stuff. So you just kind of go, eh, who cares? Like, yeah. you know, so to me, some of the things that like when I did, I was somewhat critical of some of the things that don't make sense continuity wise, you know, when you're doing a prequel um, compared to films that happen later. So I, I, I kind of know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit here, but uh, you know, that being said, I think you can enjoy this film a little bit more if you just sort of look at it from, you know, it is a comic book movie. So you, so imagine it is told in the same style as a comic book in that it's, you know, not necessarily everything's always going to tie together. Cause it just, it can't, you know, we're going to tell this story. And then when she's with the Avengers, we tell an Avengers story and there is some crossover there, but not necessarily all the time. And they're almost kind of disconnected from one another in certain ways. Um, I, I think kind of adopting, you know, that sort of idea, um, you know, maybe makes a little sense because, you know, look, there's certainly uh, one of the things I was very critical of, you know, thinking about prequels was, um, you know, Fury's got this, this souped up pager that connects right to Captain Marvel. And he's had at least three or four times that you can think of pretty easily where that really would have come in handy for him to pull out. And he waited until he was dusted um, before pulling it out. Um, so you kind of look at that and go, huh? Um, you know, like that's just being one example of it, but, um, you know, some of the, some of the action scenes, Matt, you touched on it. I, I actually really like a lot of the action scenes in this movie. Uh, the opening action sequence when they're, they're fleeing from their, um, you know, from their home in Ohio and they've got the, uh, the plane scene. Uh, it's a heck of a, a good job. They did the, the practical effects were really good. I, I liked a lot of the stunts. Um, and, and just right after that, they they have what I think, you know, when you when you think of the great spy action thrillers, the opening credits are always treated differently than other movies. They don't just roll the credits. They do it in a different way. Um, and, and the next time you're watching a spy action thriller, like really pay attention because it's it's different. This movie does the same thing. 
uh, with its with its opening credits, basically. Um, and I and I think it's one of the best versions of it I've ever seen. Yeah, um, the, I would agree with that. There's definitely again, there's there's things to like about this movie. I, I definitely think there is. Um, I, I do have a hard time, which is weird though, treating it thinking of it in the same light as a comic book, like how many times has the DC universe been rebooted? How many times has a dead character come back to life? Um, yeah, it's, you know, w- with the MCU, the way it is, I-, I do have a harder time for whatever reason, kind of making that, that distinguishing feel between, okay, treat it as a standalone movie. It is what it is. Um, maybe who knows, maybe I'll eventually be able to do that. And I'll, you know, watch this movie again someday and go, all right, let me, let me just look at it as I don't care how it connects. And let me just watch this as what does this movie do for me from just an entertainment standpoint? Maybe I can do that on another rewatch. I kind of have another thing too, where I acknowledge that this is a comic book movie, but I also kind of like feel there's aspects that don't really line up very well. So I, I guess I'll explain what I mean by saying this. A lot of your great spy movies, action thrillers, they feature technology that's just on the horizon. It's not quite there yet. You know, think back to some of the James Bond movies and some of the gadgets that are, you know, there's no motor that's ever going to fire out of your watch that's going to pull a grown-ass man to the ceiling of anything ever. Like, that That technology doesn't exist. There's not a motor powerful enough. There's not a cable powerful enough to do that. Like, I think they even did that on Mythbusters. So I'm not just, you know, talking out my ass here. Um, you know, like those kinds of things. Like, I can remember Pierce Brosnan being in the back of a BMW, like, controlling his car from his phone you know like that technology is is actually here but it wasn't here at the time so a lot of a lot of these movies you know really dabble in gadgets and in tech that is is just it's believable because it's not quite here yet but it's almost here um and then to find the red room is just sort of this floating city yeah sure it works because we have you know in this universe we have helicarriers um and those are kind of the same thing but to me in in this movie where they're presenting it as a spy action thriller where you know yeah there's a super soldier but for the most part nobody has powers or anything like that they're just spies and and regular people um you know for the most part it like it's it's a little like the juxtaposition almost doesn't feel right i don't know does that does that make sense does that hit you at all the same way it hit me yeah, I feel like there at some points I feel like there's an identity crisis with this movie. Um, mm, okay. So uh, that's that's how I feel uh just based on you know the I don't I the spy thriller and like okay there's the floating city and all this technology with the red room and everything and then Yeah, I I want to explain it better than just saying an identity crisis, but I also, I feel like sometimes this really, this movie doesn't know where it wants to be. Does it want to be a real, like down to earth, like spy movie where there's an emotional attachment or does it want to delve into the action over the top realm? And I, I think that it, it struggles sometimes with that, where it bounces back and forth too quickly there's not enough time for some of those elements to breathe before you go into one of those next scenes yeah i could definitely see that and i think that's 
that's some of the stuff that we've never seen before the MCU existed. You know, we've seen, you know, the, the spy thrillers before, certainly with, um, with Captain America two, we've, we've seen that before, although I think that was better executed overall. I felt like the elements were a lot tighter. We've seen a monster movie within the MCU, uh, with, with the Hulk film. Um, we've seen a heist movie with Ant-Man, you know, we've seen the buddy comedy, um, with, with Falcon and the winter soldier. We've seen all of these. We haven't seen a romantic comedy yet. Like WandaVision wasn't even really a romantic comedy. That was more of like a mystery to me. Um, we've seen a lot of different genres of entertainment show their face in the MCU. It's not just superheroes punching each other in the face. Typically a, a character with the same power set as you, um, you know, it's not just that, but at the same time, you know, sometimes when you are introducing some of these other elements, um, some of these other genres of film and adapting them, there are times where just existing in the MCU doesn't make it work as well. Yeah, I think that's a, a really valid point. And, you know, I, I think one of the other things that really, uh, again, for me, though, it hinder this movie. So I'll be interested to hear, see what you think is. It's not to the same level, but there's not a compelling villain in this movie to me. I don't think the actual, actual villain is very compelling. And the person that we thought, at least based on the trailers, was going to be the main villain is really not in the movie all that much. And based on Taskmaster's skill set, it's the same things that we've seen, but it's... You know, he has some cool things where he reenacts like Black Panther, you know, bringing out his claws, throwing the shield, uh, fighting Romanoff on the bridge. But Taskmaster wasn't all that interesting. I, you know, I again, maybe it's timing. I don't care that she's connected to Taskmaster. It, it, it doesn't interest me. I don't think that was a a good choice to make that, that storyline change. I, I don't think it added anything to this journey. You know, for me that it doesn't work. It just does not work. It doesn't give me an emotional connection. It, it doesn't make me feel, you know, bad or more empathetic towards black widow's journey and trying to do the right thing. I, I think they made a really bad choice with changing that character's origin in this movie that's that's again my opinion but i don't think taskmaster's all that interesting in this movie and that's another thing that brings it down is you know who she's supposed to be up against doesn't seem really i don't know they they never really felt like a threat so because they changed taskmaster from a man to a woman you don't like the character and now the mob's coming for you matt congratulations that's um 100 percent true <laughs> Yeah. Um, listen, because there are people out there that have talked about that as as the reason why people have real honest critiques about about that character and and that introduction. So I have some thoughts on this. Um, absolutely. You know, Taskmaster doesn't really present herself and, and we believe it's himself for the first bit. Um has a real credible threat. Um, there's there's some things about the character that don't. Really, I'm not sure I love that she has to get like a USB stick stuck in the base of her skull to like upload her you know new fighting and stuff. Uh, I don't know. I I sort of like the comic accurate version where the character just has the ability to see a skill 
and is you know has a photo reflexive memory is is how they how they describe it um, and can in immediately imitate that skill uh, you know obviously the character must immediately grow the the muscles and tendons to be able to accommodate all of those abilities too I guess but uh, I digress it's comic books they're not supposed to make sense but so I don't really love like that aspect of what they changed I don't have a huge problem with it I will say that I don't like that you know when they show the HUD and the implants and all this other stuff about it to me, it makes it feel the character feel more like the T eight hundred from Terminator than a true comic book villain. Um, I, you know, with, without the ability to sort of at least think a little bit on her own and things like that. So there, there's aspects of that that I actually really don't like. The costume looks amazing, and and Matt, I know how much you love comic accurate costumes. It's one of your favorite things about comic book movies, and this one's this one's pretty good. Um, the connection to the character, though is unnecessary. And there's, there's some other things that I, there's some things I feel pretty strongly about in this movie that I think hamper it and hold it back for me. Killing the kid is messed up. Um, you know, when, when we're led to believe, you know, a third of the way into the movie, halfway into the movie that Natasha killed Antonia Drake off. Um, that's pretty messed up. Here's what I will say though. And, and I have, and I'm not going to try to boast and pat myself on the back too hard here for saying this, because I've definitely been on record on this high quality program of being very wrong about predictions plenty of times. Go back and listen to any of our episodes on WandaVision. If you want to hear me being incredibly wrong about lots of things. Um, I knew immediately she wasn't dead. Disney's not going to allow Natasha Romanoff to kill a little girl. They're just not going to let it happen. Like there's, I never believed that that character was truly dead. I did not see her coming back as taskmaster. I'll I'll say that I didn't see that, but I knew for a fact she wasn't dead because they were just not going to do that. That's, that's not what you do with your female lead that you've been sitting on a solo film of for, for a very long time. Um, However, by, by having her set up to think she killed the kid and then not having actually done it, when she has the comment in Endgame about the red in her ledger, had they actually allowed her to follow through with, you know, saying blow the bombs, he's there when the daughter was in there with him. If, if she actually had died in that explosion, that line would have meant a little bit more. And I think that line would have hit just a little bit different. And I think it would have landed a lot better. Um, so, you know, look, the, Taskmaster for sure is not even really in the movie that much. Um, and I feel it could have been used better. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you know, everything about the lead up made it really seem like Taskmaster is, was going to be the real, you know, threat in this movie. And, you know, he has, well, I, I sorry. She has a scene on the bridge she has the fight against Red Guardian, which haven't given a shout out to that character yet because another really good part of the movie. Um, love him in Stranger Things. Felt really bad for David Harbour that he had to play Hellboy in the reboot because it was terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but really liked him as Red Guardian. You know, Taskmaster has the fight against him. And then, you know, he she's got that fight at the end that ends really like unceremoniously. And I I know I've had people like, Oh, well that's the move that she used. And I'm like, yeah, but mm, I, 
again, I think the worst thing I can say is I, I don't care. Like Taskmaster gets taken out very unceremoniously. It doesn't feel like a very satisfying conclusion to that, you know, what is supposed to be a personal battle in this movie. I just feel like a lot of that falls flat. And so does the reveal, you know, when it's, Oh my God, it's, it's the daughter. It was like, okay, like great. It's, it's the daughter. uh, Sure. Like I just, again, (laughs) yeah. Like that's as bland as I could be about it. Um, yeah, the, it, it meant nothing. Um, okay. Whoop-de-doo. I, I don't care. Um, yeah, I, I think we spent a lot of time on last week's uh, episode breaking down the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, where um, I, I think the biggest indictment on that movie is just you just don't care about any of the characters or any of the events. And when the audience is sitting there going, uh, just, yeah, I don't care. Like, I'm not invested in this. That's actually worse than just bad decisions, you know, th- than just a bad movie or disliking a decision. Uh, just not caring one way or another um, is is really uh, amongst the, mo- the the most damning uh, uh, things you can say about any any piece of yeah. Because at least if you are upset or whatever in between, there's genuine emotion like invoked from you. Again, I don't have any real genuine emotion of it like brought up by this movie. Um, e- even the parts that are, that are good. Again, I like the family dynamic. I think the family dynamic is good, but it doesn't like, it doesn't affect me emotionally. Um, it's just like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a good that's a good part of the movie. They seem like they are a family. And then when they come together and you find out that, um, you know, they were faking so that they could get onto the floating city and get to the red room and things like that. Like it's good, but it's not, it's not Ant-Man getting his daughter back. It's not to me, Hawkeye getting his family back at the end of Endgame. It's, It's none of those things like nothing in this movie that happens to me lives up to some of the other emotional moments in some of the other solo movies. You know, really, as I got towards the end of this film, uh, I'll tell you one of the things that really occurred to me, and that is, is this a movie and are these characters that you like or not? Because in general, if you find yourself enjoying the film, if you find yourself really enjoying the characters, I think you forgive a lot more. And if you find yourself not really getting into it, there's absolutely things here that you can nitpick on. Um, little things, you know, that we haven't even really gotten into, uh, you know, just even something stupid, like the end of the movie, when she's back with a short blonde look and, um, you know, she meets her fixer who, who supplies all of her gear for her when she's on the run and needs to get to a new safe house. And she's on a, she's on a motorcycle. She drives up to him, has this conversation. What do you have for me this time? And he kind of like, w- like nods his head in a general direction. And it's a wide open field and there's a Quinjet. 
and it's a wide open like she saw it driving up like what do you mean what do you have for me like and, and like she hadn't seen it before like little things like that like i saw it and i went i don't really care i like this movie um but if you if you don't really <laughs> care for it like it you know you're gonna you're gonna nitpick that stuff more i think if if it just if the movie doesn't work for you in the same way that that say it works for me yeah no i think those you know again those are all very valid points and at some point i real i will re-watch this movie and may again like i said a little bit earlier maybe at that time i can watch this movie for i don't need it to be connected I just need to watch it as a movie and and see how I feel about it. Because as long as I take it, to me, what I consider face value as part of the MCU, I'm going to have a very hard time overlooking some of these things that, yeah, maybe I am nitpicking on. And again, uh, anybody listening to this episode, I would love to hear your thoughts on Black Widow, what you think. Um, maybe why I'm completely wrong and why this movie maybe works a lot better than I think it does. I, I would love to hear that. So if anybody wants to, you'll definitely have the, the information in the show notes. Um, Cause I, I'm curious to see what other people think of this movie. Yeah. I, I think this is one that um, just from kind of listening to people and, and just kind of reading, you know, the, the scuttle that's out there, it seems like, this movie was pretty well received initially. Now, my question on on the overall reception was, you know, I, I have multiple questions. I and I'm and I'm curious what people think about it after the second and third time possibly seeing this because I think there's a faction of people that are just so excited about a female led uh, MCU film that we don't get enough of. That there, you know, we've seen review bombing and review reverse review bombing. You know, certainly with Captain Marvel, there was review bombing because just nonsense, really. Um, but I think there was people who wanted to like this movie, so they watched it, they came out of it, they had a great time, uh, and they wanted to like this movie, so they decided to like this movie. I think there's also people like me that my wife and I went out to see this. Um, it was, you know, we had, we had seen a quiet place too earlier in that week. And it's like the first time she and I have seen two movies in the same week, probably two movies within a month of each other. And who knows how long, uh, but we just say hey, movies, theaters are open. Let's go support going to the movies. Um, and, and I just think that because there are so many parts of this that are fun and work and we're back in the theater and it was, we were literally there on Thursday, like the opening night. Cause it, you know, the movie technically opens on Friday, but they've got this preview on Thursday and the theater was packed and everybody was an, into it and everybody was having a good time. You know, like you kind of described with your viewing experience, you know, watching it with your team, um, you know, and then watch it a second or third time. Do you still love it as much? And I, I definitely feel like on my rewatch, I don't like this movie as much as, as what I first saw, but I, I'd be curious to hear from listeners if, you know, now that it's on Disney plus, you know, to available to everybody with a subscription or who has a cousin, who has a friend, who has a roommate, who has a boss, who has a subscription and you have their, you have their login credentials. Um, if you've seen this more than once, do you still like it as much the second and third time? I would absolutely love to hear uh, from that because I think there's, I think there could be a difference. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think there is because again, you know, one of you know the major releases for the theater, especially in this area where things were shut down and things were just coming back. Um, I, again, that's my second viewing. I, I wasn't a huge fan during my first viewing. I was like, yeah, that was good, but again, it was hey, it was cool to do something to, you know, be part of a team with work that, you know, has the kind of, you know, chemistry and relationship that the team that I work with has. And, you know, everybody, you know, be, oh, yeah, we close at six o'clock. We're all willing to stay, you know, at the work building. You know, granted, we're watching a movie and stuff like that. And we had snacks and bought candy from Dollar, you know, Dollar Tree and things like that. <laughs> but, you know, uh you know, Rob, you know, we work for the same company, you know, not too, I don't think too many teams would be like, yeah, I'll stay in the work building until eight 30 at night when we get to leave at six o'clock on a Sunday. Um, I, I don't I think, think a lot of offices are, are not like that at all. I, I yeah. think that's, you know, you might have, I, I'm listen, I think most adults make their friends in the workplace. Um, but I don't think there's a lot of places where, you like more than three people, you know, in yeah, a lot of like workplaces. We had, we had every single person that works on that staff. So like all nine of our salespeople, three people from the customer care teams for listeners, you know, that are like so riveted by this part, <laughs> um, but like every department wanted to, to be a part of it. And like, that was really cool. Like it was really cool to, to share that experience um, and, and be a part of that. Like it was, it, it was fun. Uh, so I think it kind of, you know, clouded my view, so to speak, on did I enjoy the experience or did I enjoy the movie? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of times we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about this with Harrison. Eric and I have talked about this. People's opinions on movies don't always necessarily have to make sense. And and what I mean is. We definitely, Matt, we definitely saw this when we were interacting with listeners uh, about the uh, the Star Wars anniversary shows where people were ranking their favorites. And what we found was that the Star Wars you grew up with was your favorite Star Wars. So like for you and me, we grew 100%. up with the original trilogy. Those are our favorite Star Wars. Harrison's a little bit younger than us. He grew up with the prequel trilogy and so many other people who are maybe a generation or two behind us, um, you know, we're both in our late thirties, the people who grew up the one or two generations behind us where, you know, maybe they don't think Jar Jar Binks is a complete abomination, you know, like they think the prequel trilogy is better than you and I do. And they look at revenge of the Sith as by far the greatest of that, of that series. And you and I have always been kind of mystified about how many people, um, said revenge of the sith revenge of the sith was the best one and you and i both like that movie but i don't think you know either of us think it is is like yeah. the greatest star wars that there is and and that's because just the connections that people make to movies don't always necessarily have anything to do with whether or not the film itself is any good it has a lot to do with your feelings your emotions the the nostalgia you have around it the things that you ascribe to that movie, you know, for me, you know, Eric and I got a chance to talk about the big Lebowski. Anytime I think about that movie, I think about my early days in college and the friends that I made there. And I'm, and I'm transported back to that time. And, and every time I watch that movie or every time I think about my favorite lines from that movie, 
I'm thinking about those guys that I hung out with at that time. And, and it, you know, it, it's, it's a long way of saying, you know, people's feelings about movies don't always necessarily have anything to do with the plot makes sense or if the characters are all well-written or if the dialogue is snappy, if the editing is tight, if the music hits the appropriate notes at the appropriate times. Sometimes you can really like a movie because you just had a great time in the environment you were watching it in. Hundred, yeah, it, it's a hundred percent accurate, um, and obviously a, a great callback to the Star Wars discussion because yeah, I mean there were people that you know talked about like you said, Revenge of the Sith being the absolute pinnacle of Star Wars for them, and again. Uh, far be it for me to say what you are supposed to like. That's not what this show is. That's not, you know, what I am. Um, it's just, like you said, it's interesting to see which one you grew up on to where your feelings come into play, you know, and how you, or, you know, how you remember them. Um, you know, Harrison, certainly from the basement binge, who's been on this show several times and is a good friend of ours. You know, he remembers Revenge of the Sith fondly because he remembers reciting the end battle with his brother out in the backyard. Um, yeah. If I, if I had something like that, maybe Revenge of the Sith is my favorite because there's an emotional attachment to that movie that in a way doesn't have anything to do with the movie. That emotional attachment is, you know, more than likely to his, to his brother. It just so happens that that movie came out. Um, you know, who knows if there, you know, some other movie comes out at that time. Like, I don't know when him and his brother were at the age of that, you know, that who knows, maybe it is the phantom, Men- you know, maybe it is the phantom menace. That is his number one, because he's playing out the scene with Obi-Wan and Darth Maul or whatever the case may be. Um, So yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how sometimes based on your life and where you were at the time when something came out, how that can influence where that movie is for you, which is definitely think really cool. Just on the, yeah, just on the star Wars tip um, to me, uh, I'm pretty sure that when my kids look back on what star Wars is to them and what their favorite kind of era or, or film or piece of star Wars is they're going to think of the Mandalorian. So my kids are in sixth grade and I have twins yeah. in third grade uh, to them. Star Wars is baby Yoda. Like that's what star Wars is to them. Um, and, and that's, and that's fantastic because look, I like baby Yoda too. I mean, who, who, who actually dislikes baby Yoda? Let's, I'm not going to get off on a tangent too far here, but I don't care what your background is or your, your, thoughts and feelings on the, on the life and the world. Everybody universally loves baby Yoda. And if we could just all wrap our arms around that idea, we'd find we have more in common. Anyways, I'm going to get off my soapbox for a second. Kylo, uh, Ren, Kylo Ren doesn't like him. Cause I'm convinced he kills him. Ooh, I hope that's not true, but it's, it's certainly, there's a lot of theories out there on that. Um, and, and yeah, I like, that's what's going to represent it to me. So I think, I think there's going to be, uh, you know, thinking back to my kids again, um, we've talked before about the importance in movies of characters, especially in superhero movies, being able to relate to characters that look like you or make you recognize a piece of yourself in them. We definitely talked about the importance of that with black, uh, with black Panther. There's absolute, and there was a huge push when they were marketing both wonder woman films 
and Captain Marvel that this was a female superhero. They, those three films were absolutely pushed in that way. I don't know necessarily that this film was pushed in that way because um, I don't know that they necessarily needed to. This is this is not a character we had to be introduced to. But I, I'll tell you that you know both my daughters are very excited about you know they're bugging me about when they can watch this movie uh, now that it's available on Disney Plus. Um, there's a couple of parts I might fast forward through, but largely, um, you know, for them to see uh, a female lead, uh, multiple female characters just absolutely kicking ass, um, they get into that. Like when we play the Lego games, like Lego Star Wars and, you know, the Lego Marvel games, the Lego DC games, they always want to be the female characters. They never want to be the male characters. These things matter and these things are important. And when, and when you think about the movies that you like and the reasons why you're attached to them, uh, these things also matter too. Yeah, they, they really do. Um, I, I think some really great valid points there. So, Rob, you know, keeping in line with that, what are your closing thoughts uh, from seat to screen? Is there anything else that you want to talk about with what doesn't work um, and what does work before we, you know, get over to from the lobby talking about favorite, least favorite scene and, and where this actually ranks in the MCU for us? Yeah, you know, just a couple quick, quick hits uh, about things that work and don't work. Um the prison escape scene is fun when we don't have to look at cartoons. Um, there's, although I also will say, I don't entirely understand why Red Guardian's in the gulag in the first place. Like that to me, and I don't know that it's ever really explained properly. It seems like he's more of a risk there and, and doesn't have the ability. I mean, if you're the only person, if you're the only power in the world with access to a super soldier, because uh, Captain America's on ice, which apparently there's a whole lot more super soldiers in the world than we thought <laughs> there was just, you know, on the basis of what we see in this movie and also in, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, but I, I don't really fully understand why he's tossed in the gulag. Um, the face removal scene, when, you know, when, when they kind of switch, when, um, when Natasha and um, uh, Melina kind of switch places, there's some things about that that when you rewatch it, it becomes very obvious. Like, wait a second, how does she know how to fly there? How does she know how to get through the hallways? Like, when I'm at my grocery store and they move stuff around a little bit, I'm completely lost. And that's a grocery store I've been going to for five years. Like when they move things over one aisle, I'm completely lost. And yet I know she's a super spy and they probably talked about it a little bit, but just being able to navigate the, you know, through the red room without ever having been there before. Like, I don't know that to me, just, I, I'm just, I've already been on record as saying I hate face swapping. Like I hate that as a mechanic. I hate, that is like mystique and X-Men. I hate that part of mission impossible. Like, I don't know. I just hate face swapping in, in general. Um, the broken nose thing at the end, it's a little lame to me. I, I just, it was a little too predictable. And I just, I, I guess the easiest way for me to describe that is I just wish they would have made different choices there. And then when he's making her watch all this stuff, like, does he just have this disaster reel like queued up? Like, does he just have a playlist on YouTube of like, chaos and and burning cities and riots and war like like why does he have this like why is he playing this these these video clips for her on the screen i don't know it just kind of bothered me Um, that is literally every bad guy's montage like it's literally everybody's thing is oh look at these clips of destruction and it's like get a get a different stick yeah um 
So those are, you know, just some some kind of quick hits of, of things that uh, outside of favorite and least favorite scenes that I kind of wanted to uh, just kind of throw out there as that work and don't work for me. Yeah, I agree with all of those. I think, you know, that especially learning how, oh, it's my scent, like my pheromone scent is linked so that you can hurt me. And yeah, it's just like, oh, okay. Again, it's it's one of those things when we kind of talked about it on Pirates where you sit down, you table read, and you go, so okay, this is this is what we went with. You you did a proofread and you you decided to keep this in the script. Great. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll make it we'll make it work the best we can. Um, that's just one of those things. Yeah, I just wish they would have made different decisions. I think there's other things they could have done there. Yeah, hundred percent. So. You know, switching over to the next segment here from the lobby, favorite scene, least favorite scene, and then at the end, uh, with this one, it, it definitely makes sense for franchise appeal because uh, this is, let's face it, this is the franchise, the MCU. Um, there, there's nothing bigger in the world of cinema than the MCU now. So, Rob, I'll let you go first. What do you want to start with? Do you want to start with a favorite scene or a least favorite scene is like, you know, the, the main thing about this movie where that scene just, it either is, ugh, or boy, that scene really knocked it out of the park for me. Um, I want to talk about my favorite scene first. And I just want to say any, any action thriller where you're giving me a car chase with motorcycles in a busy city, like I'm down, I'm here for it. Like, give it to me. I want it every chance I can get it. I want that scene. And we get that in this movie. There's some great action scenes in this movie, but this scene in particular was great. And I think that um, this is probably some of the best uh, that we get between Yelena and Natasha. Um, just kind of their back and forth, you know, the, the kind of back and forth that you you don't have with close friends. You really only have with family. Like I could, I can see aspects of my brother and I talking to each other where there's, you know, like there's, there's ways you can rip on family members that you absolutely cannot do to other people and have it read the same way. And, and just that whole scene. I love it. I I love, uh, you know, when she stole the keys to the motorcycle at the beginning. Um, and, and she's like, is, you know, criticizing the plan. Um, everything about that scene works for me. And in the middle of all that, they're having the conversation about the vest and it's just, I love that scene. Yeah. I think that is, that is a really good scene. I like that one a lot. That's a great call out. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is the first, it is the first fight against taskmaster and it ends up becoming disappointing because it's such like a, Oh, that's okay. We're going to get that a couple more times throughout this movie. Like we're going to get black widow taskmaster, her trying to figure out how she's actually going to fight this character. Um, It's really, really well done. I think that first fight between them, which makes it at the end, like all the more disappointing because it's, you know, for me, it starts off with like the highest of highs in, Ooh, this is what we're going to get to wait, come come back. Isn't, isn't there more like, isn't there more of that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, again, it's, um, one of the biggest indictments, like we said, is just the underutilization of the character of taskmaster. Um, this is a character that 
would have really been interesting to reappear throughout the MCU. Um, look, one of the things we've definitely talked about with the MCU is I'm not going to necessarily necessarily say they have a villain problem, but if you think about the all time rogues galleries in comics, I mean, the obvious one is Batman. He's got the best one. Um, I will accept no other answers. And then somewhere in there, somewhere between two and three, you can you can interchange them as you want, are Spider-Man's villains and the X-Men villains, which Marvel just recently acquired the rights to the X-Men villains. But there's no real plan to bring them on screen anytime soon. Uh, how many Marvel villains, other than like Doctor Doom, that they haven't used yet that are not part of the X universe. Do you really like, can, can the average person name? Uh, not many. I mean, how many do you think they can name like red skull? They've already done him. Right. How many iconic villains can they, can you think of that they can use right now? Well, I, uh, without I, dipping into X-Men. I, I think some of the problems sometimes with some of these villains and we'll see going forward. Cause it looks like they've certainly shown, the willingness to kind of really go outside of the box now, because some of the villains that I think would make the most interesting are ones that are really, really out there. I, you know, getting into, there's been some incredible stories with Mephisto and, you know, there's a lot of rumors about whether or not he's been in the shadows in a couple of these, you know, series and things like that. But I think some of the villains that are really interesting and have had some really good stories are the ones that they need to, you know, they need to push the envelope a little bit further again, because again, besides Thanos, you know, even Killamonger was the same. Okay. um, I punch, you know, I punch you, you punch me because we have the same powers Uh, granted, but outside of the suit, his character was extremely interesting, but it quickly dove into, we have the same powers and we're going to fight. So yeah, I I would say the MCU in in its current form that they did do have a villain problem. And taskmaster is one of those ones that you could use again and again, because, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the masculine pronoun. He, because I'm I'm referring to the comic character at this point, um, as, as he's presented in the comics, um, he's not necessarily affiliated with any one particular hero. I mean, I guess if you, you know, probably shows up mostly with, with Spider-Man and Deadpool, but outside of that, I mean, you can flip taskmaster taskmaster into a lot of places, you know, outside of that, I think the Kingpin shows up with a couple different uh, heroes here and there, but a lot of them kind of stay in their lane. You know, they fight their own bad guys and stuff like that. So when you're thinking about characters that they really haven't done much of, I mean, crossbones shows up, you know, twice, I think um, three times, I guess, if you count Endgame. Um, you know, Thanos makes appearances, but in terms of making an impact, there's, I mean, how many villains have, have gotten more than one movie uh, for an appearance? And and I don't know necessarily that they always have to be fully defeated or killed or whatever at the end of the movie. Um, I feel like they could have, you know, brought Taskmaster in and out. Yeah, uh, 100%. And I'll I'll let that jump into my least favorite scene. And, and that is that end fight with Taskmaster. I think it's very unceremonious where she, you know, gets the final blow on her. I just felt like for what the buildup was supposed to be, I just felt like there wasn't a great conclusion to their battle. I thought it was really, really tame 
for how that fight ended that to me, that would have to be my least favorite scene because that's supposed to be, you know, the, the culmination. So I, I wasn't really a fan of that at all. Yeah. It's hard to argue with that. Um, you know, when you're the climax of your movie really just kind of falls flat on its face in terms of the action set piece. Um, yeah, we've got the explosions of, of the red room as it's falling out of the sky and, you know, I don't know. Just to me, I, I never believe the stakes are all that high when everything's a cartoon. Um, it's hard to feel like there's real danger when you know everything is animated on and, you know, everything's done with green screen and nothing's really happening. Um, I just, you know, that's one been one of my critiques of a lot of the Fast and Furious uh, films. Just, you know, if, if it's obviously CG, then it doesn't feel real and it takes away some of the drama, it takes away some of the danger, which, which takes away the importance. Uh, so I think there's a lot of that in this, in this final scene. Uh, but that's not actually what I'm going to choose as my least favorite scene. Uh, I'm going back to the introduction where Elena and Natasha meet each other again for the first time. And we have what is sadly a trope in, in films where two characters choose to fight one another when a simple conversation would have definitely cleared everything up. And it's, it's absolutely my least favorite way to get a fight scene in a movie. Um, and they don't actually want to kill each other, but they try to because they chose not to talk. And we've seen this in movies time and time again. They're literally trying to kill each other. I mean, they are, you know, there's killing blows being thrown. We, we see this uh, in the last Pirates movie, you know, with uh, at, the, at the beginning where uh, Penelope Cruz's character is uh, impersonating Jack. I mean, they're fighting each other with swords. And then they stop fighting each other just randomly and they decide to, to kiss or whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I hate that about movies where it, it's such a, it's such lazy screenwriting, make there be real stakes, make them have a reason why they're fighting and not because they just chose not to talk and realize they're on the same side with common goals and they care about each other and they want each other to be successful. If you want them to fight, have it be because there's, emotions left over because of, of what happened when they were kids, like make that the, the reason the fight starts. And then one of them decides mid fight that her motivations have changed when maybe she has the upper hand, or maybe she has to achieve the upper hand to convince the other character that her motivations aren't what she believes they are. You know, like it just, to me, it's lazy screenwriting, you know, it's, it's almost as bad in terms of screenwriting and laziness and fake outness, it's almost as bad as like, say, I don't know, maybe they introduce a character that's part of another cinematic universe. And we're supposed to think that it's, it's a crossover of some kind only to just kind of have it end up being a red herring and a fake out all along. Like they would never do that to us. Thank God the MCU would not do that to us. You know, I'm so glad, uh, but it's, it's lazy screenwriting and I hate it. Yeah, I think there is definitely, yeah, I mean, it, because I think they even say, doesn't she even say in there like, oh, like, do we want to talk, like, do we want to talk now? Well, wait a minute, what, why didn't you just say that in the first place? Like, hey, I really just need to talk to you. I'm here for this. Like, yeah, or one of them could have set the gun down, like at any point. Natasha, who was there for a reason, could have just put her gun up in the air and made it clear that her intentions were not to kill Yelena. Could have very easily done that. Yelena doesn't know necessarily where she's at. Uh, either one of them could have made that choice, but I think it would have made more sense for Natasha to do it. And 
and she didn't, you know, and we do we, look, I, the actual fight scene itself is well done and compelling, but when you already know that by the end of it, they're going to stop fighting each other before they even start and the, the stakes don't matter. Um, it's hard to enjoy the action sequence. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I, I would think that's a really good choice for a, a least favorite scene. I do want to mention really quickly too that one thing that I really do love is when there's there's two things, and it's when she talks to her about her fighter pose. Why do you, why do you do the the thing the the, th- <laughs> yeah. the thing that you do with with the hair and the, and the and the arm and you, you make it seem like everybody's looking at you. Um, I, I like that. Again, it, it feels like genuine interaction between the two of them. Um, I, I really like when they're in the car and she's like, I really do like the vest. And she's like, I knew it. Like, it's got so many pockets. And, you know, like, I, I like that. And then I love the fact when she drops into the building and she does the pose and she's like, oh, oh, that was gross. Um Yeah. Like she's an absolute delight again in this movie. And based on the end credit scene, I'm really hoping that we get a lot more of her in the MCU because I think she can definitely uh, carry her own. Um, Put her in the next film, whatever, whatever's next, put her in it. Uh, Whatever the next TV show is, put her in it. I'm here for it. I want it. Um, I, I just love the, there's there's a there's a mix of like cockiness and a little bit of like smart ass just dusted in with true confidence and real skill set um but also like almost like a childishness too and i and i don't mean that in like an immature way but more of just like a, a youthful exuberance sort of way that i like about the character and and florence's presentation of her um so yeah give me that like give me that in in every movie that we can possibly get it every tv show we can possibly get it um i want to talk about a scene with her towards the end for a second when she's at it's the end credit scene she's at the the gravestone and she whistles how convinced were you that we were going to hear a whistle back and there was somehow going to be a way that natasha was back either from a multiversal kind of whip around or something Steve did in the process of returning the soul stone or just something. How, how much did you think we were going to hear a whistle back? There was a part of me because I had heard that they had considered that for like, I had, I had considered that. And then I did hear that there was a deleted alternate ending where there was a whistle back, but they definitely didn't want anybody, you know, to get that idea because they weren't really sure what was going on. Um, And maybe somewhere down the line with the whole multiverse, you know, you can just pluck her from somewhere. Um, But yeah, there was part of me that was like, "Mm, maybe I do like what we got. I do like what we got better though. Oh yeah. With Valentina, like blowing her nose instead. Like that was just, that was fantastic. I, I loved Valentina in, in Falcon and the winter soldier. Um, I'm very excited to see as we move into the next phase, what, what she's planning, what she's working on, what we're going to get as a result of it. Um, I, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, 
and and really other than this end credit scene this film just you know each piece of the mcu feels like it introduces us to characters that spin the narrative forward towards the kind of the next the next piece uh, you know other than maybe elena there's really not a lot I feel like this movie prepares us for in, in the future. I mean, our main character in this movie is already dead. Like, I don't know. This just feels to me like we had talked about this already. This feels to me like this really should have been part of the last phase. This should have fit in after Captain America three. Um, I'm just not really sure what the benefit is. Yeah, that's again, that is part of my entire problem with this whole thing is what does it all mean? Um, b- besides the end credit scene, what does this do for the bigger universe? Yeah. And I also think there's a little bit too of a lack of feeling danger for the character. Um, now, like when you sit down to watch a James Bond movie, you know, Bond's not going to die. Like when you're watching Jason Bourne, you know, Jason Bourne's not going to die. When you're watching any film in the MCU, your main character is not going to die in in the film. Um, but when you're in when when you're in a film where you it's a prequel and you know when the character does die, I don't know. It just there's there's an element of of that risk of that danger that you just you already know the end, so you just don't ever really feel like the character's truly ever in danger. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. Yeah, there's again, there's no, there's no scope to me for this movie. That's that's part of the reason why it doesn't work that well. Is there seems to be no consequence to anything that's going on, which is a which is a big deal to me. There has to be some sense uh, of scope. Um, so, uh, with that being said, though, I. I think Rob for the, the franchise appeal section, I think maybe giving it our reels and then saying where it ranks in the MCU would be the best way to go for this. And you know, how to talk about that closing portion here of how we rate this film. What do you, what do you think? You want to go reels first and then where it ranks? Yeah, I think that's the perfect next step. All right, so I'll go first. Um, I give this two and a half reels. Um, Ooh. Yeah, I I am. Maybe you didn't know I was not that big of a fan, but I, yeah, it, it just the, the good of the family element cannot outweigh the fact that it at this point in time, this movie felt completely unnecessary for me. So, um, yes, if we were doing rummage for the rotten, you would definitely be the rotten here. Um, <laughs> I, um, I, I acknowledge everything you said that was, and some of the many things that I said that don't work about this movie, or we wish they would have done differently. Um, when I turned this movie off, when I walked out of the theater, um, uh, you know, when I, when I'm watching this on Disney plus and I, and I shut it off, uh, I'm happy about the time I just spent. You know, I'm, I had a good time. I'm remembering the things that worked. I'm remembering just how great Yelena and Natasha are together. Uh, those are the things that I really, really remember. Um, so I have this as four reels. Um, I, wow. I definitely enjoy this a lot more, I think, than, than you did. Um, 
And, and again, I'm even saying, I acknowledge all of the things that, you know, I don't necessarily disagree uh, with anything of, of what you said. I think I just maybe kind of throw popcorn in my mouth and just kind of uh, just enjoy the ride um, for the parts of the movie that, that, uh, that are fun and just kind of sweep under the rug, the other pieces. Yeah. So, you know, an interesting thing with that then is where we go on the list. So with black widow, that is 24 movies um, so far that have been released for the MCU. Uh, well, because I, neither of us have watched Shang-Chi. So right. uh, out of the list of 24, I know there is 25 that have come out, but you and I have not seen Shang-Chi, so we can only rank this out of the 24 movies that we've seen. Um, since I went first with Reels, I will go first with Black Widow and say that for me, this ranks as the 18th spot in my MCU list, uh, which I am going to put those lists with the updated ranking of black widow in the show notes as well. From when we did the infinity war sagas, uh, two episodes that we did to review all of the movies in the MCU, uh, at that time. So this ranks 18 for me, which puts it in between. So like my, my bottom six go Ant-Man and the wasp at 17, Black Widow at 18, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 at 19, Incredible Hulk at 20, Iron Man 3 at 21, or I'm sorry, my bottom eight, Avengers Age of Ultron at 22, Iron Man 2 at number 23, and Thor the Dark World at number 24. So uh, there's a lot of gap in between what I think is really good for the MCU and, and where Black Widow falls. So when we're talking about rankings and you know, I kind of, my rankings are just how much I enjoy the film, how much I would ever rewatch it. You know, where do I rank it one ahead of the other? And I think when I'm assigning a real value to something, some of it's the, obviously a lot of it I base, you know, when I am assigning a, a real, it's based on my enjoyment of it, but also the technical aspects of it too. Uh, does the story work? Is it fun? Do the characters, engage you what's the lasting impact of the, of the movie so to me like we didn't actually do a real ranking for the mcu show uh prior so if i had to though some of these films that i would actually rank ahead of black widow might actually have less reels but i might enjoy them more or I might find them more rewatchable. Like Thor Ragnarok is infinitely rewatchable, but I don't necessarily love it as much because I, I just have some problems with some of the things about it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go download that show. Um, so as I look at my list and from when we published it originally, I had you know Doctor Strange at 14, Captain Marvel at 15, Spider-Man Far From Home at 16, but I never really loved where I had Far From Home. So I've, I've since flipped captain marvel and spider-man far from home um you know to 15 and 16 um and that's really where you know as we talked about before the mcu is is very heavy in that middle area where your top five six seven probably aren't going to change much you know they're they're fantastic they're probably not going to move up too high or too low the bottom ones are, are pretty bad you know you're, you're going to find the same films you know towards the bottom of everybody's but then when you look at that fat middle 
of movies that are, are making up important pieces of the MCU, they're all great. They're all fun. They're all movies you would watch over and over for the most part and really enjoy. You know, as I'm looking at, for example, like uh, both Spider-Man films, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, um, you know, the first Avenger, all of these films, they're all kind of interchangeable almost from, from one to the other. And, and I think it's a recency principle where whichever one you saw most recently, whichever one is most top of mind for you, whichever one you were probably talking about most recently will probably rank a little bit higher. And that's kind of where I have black widow. If I have to give it a value, I'm going to put it in at 15. Um, it's, it's gonna, you know, jump over, uh, Spider-Man far from home and captain Marvel by a little bit. Um, and I think if I rewatched either of those movies, I might have it above this, but it's, it's not in end game winter soldier, infinity war territory for me, but it's also not dark world age of Ultron guardians of the galaxy Two, iron man, three Hulk territory either. Um, so it sounds as much as I talked about how much I like this film, as much as I say, okay, I've got it at 15. Um, that seems kind of low, uh, but the quality of the MCU as a whole is pretty high. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, again, maybe, you know, we certainly now it seems like a lifetime ago that we did that MC, <laughs> that MCU podcast. But, yeah, you know, who knows? Maybe a, a whole nother rewatch is a, a completely different story now of where we rank some of those movies. Um and how we how we view them. So it's always interesting going back and trying to figure out where you actually, you know, see these movies on on your list. So I'd be curious if, uh, you know, a rewatch was ever in the cards to see maybe certain things changed again. Yeah, like, for example, I've got Doctor Strange at 14. Now that's bottom 50 percent, like well below bottom 50. Right. Do I like Doctor Strange? Oh, yeah. I like that movie a lot. If you're like, hey, come on over. We're having some people are going to go outside. We're going to watch on my 80-inch you know, screen. We're going to watch Doctor Strange. You want to come over? I'm like, yeah, I want to come over and do that. So that's <laughs> where you know, it's kind of hard to really use a, a ranking. I don't want to say to mean anything, but when you're looking at the films towards the bottom of the list, if it's not Dark World, Age of Ultron, Guardians 2, Iron Man 3, Hulk, like pretty much anything above that for me, I'll watch just about any time you want. Yeah, it, it's certainly, yeah, it's, it's so weird because it can change at the drop of a dime, honestly, um, with how these movies are perceived. So, but for right that now, doesn't even, <laughs> that doesn't even like try to wedge in the MCU TV shows that like if you had to slide like WandaVision in somewhere, like, could you even do it? I mean, it's such a different thing. It's, a, you know, it's right. an eight or nine episode TV show. Like, how do you how do you rank that as part of the MCU? But like, could you even do it? Like, I don't I don't know where I would put it. Like, I, I don't know. That's that's a whole nother headache. <laughs> yeah there's no way i could just right off the top of my head just be like boom here's where i know it would have to go right yeah exactly like that would oh man that would be a long long night of where how, okay how does this actually work 
Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of those scenes where like, you know, if somebody turned the light on in your room at three o'clock in the morning, you're like scribbling on the walls with chalk, like just frantic with your hair, like up in the air, like a lunatic. Yeah. A hundred percent. So very, very interesting. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed this because I was not suspecting you like black widow that much. Um, pretty significant difference. Um, in the ratings, especially the reels, which is sometimes, you know, only doing it out of five, um, you know, um, sometimes it, it doesn't seem like maybe a certain amounts enough, or maybe it seems like it's too low. Um, but one of the more lopsided ones that we've had between our, our real system from, for you and I doing this, there's, there's a pretty good gap there. Yeah. It's probably one of the bigger ones we've done recently, but, um, yeah, again, it, it just comes down to, I think, with with film, if you just enjoy the experience, you're going to probably rate something a little bit higher. Um, if if there's too many flaws for you to ignore, you know, if, if you weight those higher than your enjoyment of the characters and, and the dialogue and what they're trying to accomplish, then, you know, it, that's going to affect your rating overall. Right, exactly. This... Uh... Our biggest gap, I actually looked at it, um, besides Black Widow, actually is Dead Man's Chest when we did Pirates of the Caribbean, which we'll be finishing up with Harrison. Oh, yeah. Um, as I, yeah, as you liked I had that a lot, at, and I did not. Yeah, I had that at five reels, and, and you had that at uh, 3.75. So uh, almost exactly you know, the same um, difference between the two of us for there but that was our previous that that is our our biggest gap in terms of reels and that's only because we never assigned the last jedi reels right yeah it's that's true we were not doing it at that time so (laughs) (laughs) so so what we'll do is uh because you're going to need to give it more than five i'm going to need to give it less than one so i will i will give it like negative three so you can give it eight and we'll we'll split the difference. So. I will give you my extra reels that I take away from it. I will give you <laughs> exactly. So that's uh, that's going to conclude Black Widow. But as always, um, you know, coming up, we'll actually be with Harrison. Um, as of this recording, it's a it's still Thursday night. Um, it's a Thursday night. We'll be doing Dead Men Tell No Tales tomorrow with Harrison from the Basement Binge uh, to finish off the Pirates of the Caribbean recap, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, he was unfortunately unable to to do on Stranger Tides with us, so he comes back. But that's one you thing. Have, um, you have air quotes around unable to, right? Because yes. I think he just I think he just split on us. I he, think he, he was like, "Nope, I am not watching this stink bomb." Yeah, he deliberately got into the to the lifeboat. Um, <laughs> it's abandoned ship. But Rob, um, besides pirates, uh, why don't you talk about? I know we got a couple things here in October that we're doing um, horror movie wise that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, so um, obviously October, it's got Halloween in it. It's um, it's definitely a great time that a lot of people like to uh, revisit some of their favorite horror movies, some of their favorite scary movies, 
monster movies, zombie movies, things like that. Uh, definitely, if you are a fan of that genre, uh, Matt's got plenty of solo episodes up and down the channel uh, that'll definitely cover all things in, in that uh, vein. Um, horror, it doesn't tend to be like my favorite genre overall, but there's definitely some that I'm really into and I really enjoy. Uh, one of which is... Um, Without spoiling too much, I'm just going to go ahead and call it. It's my favorite zombie movie. And it's a little film called 28 Days Later that uh, wasn't made with a whole lot of money. But, you know, I think in a lot of times when when your budget is small and you have to think creatively to tell a compelling story and you don't have the budget of, you know, a Disney film or something like that, uh, sometimes it, it gives a really great result when you're limited by certain things and you have to think around it about how to create entertainment using that. Uh, sometimes really good things can happen. So I'm really excited. I haven't watched the movie for, for several years now, at least. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited for an excuse to pop it back in the, the DVD tray and uh, check it out and, and talk about it. And then uh, following that will be 28 weeks later. And then uh, we're going to do Dawn of the Dead, the remake, and then Army of the Dead that recently released on Netflix. Yeah, uh, those will be a lot of fun. I have very similar feelings for 28 Days Later. Um, I, I will certainly be interested to rewatch 28 Weeks Later because um, I, I don't remember a lot of that movie. So I do remember a ton about 28 Days. So it'll be fun to rewatch both of those. And Dawn of the Dead, I actually, well, Army of the Dead, I really just watched recently because of its release on Netflix. But I did recently watch Dawn of the Dead about two months ago. So it'd be cool to kind of go back and see that. I I think that's one of Snyder's stronger films. Um, I thought he did a really good job. So I'll be, I'll be interested to rewatch that and get it ready for another episode. And then you'll probably watch Zack Snyder's Justice League for the 75th time just just to celebrate the Snyderness. Yes, yes, all things Snyder. Um, I, I, will, I will certainly give that another go. Uh, it's funny, I was just talking about that, how I was, I was thinking about the Snyder cut again of Justice League and the amazement that I have with that. But um, that'll do it for this episode. Certainly looking forward to getting Harrison back like we talked about and doing on uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales to finish up Pirates, getting through a couple of these horror movies and certainly looking forward to Rob's next edition of the extended podcast universe, um, which I know is coming up uh, real soon with another episode. Right, Rob? Yeah, so uh, the uh, program director here at Matt Goes to the Movies has a very robust calendar uh, uh, laid out for the next few weeks. So uh, trying to find uh, time to record that one too is uh, is going to be at a premium. But um, it's a movie that w my brother Eric and I are both really excited to talk about. So um, it won't be hard to motivate either of us to set time aside to do it. It's just a matter of actually uh, finding it and, and sitting down to record it because it's a movie that's a blast to watch and it's going to be a blast to talk about. Awesome. Well, I look forward to that because the listeners have certainly, you know, uh, listened, downloaded and seem to have been really, really interested in the episodes that you've already done. So I'm sure they're looking forward to that. So, you know, with that being said, catch all the show notes here uh, in this episode, Facebook, Instagram, how to contact the show our rankings for the MCU based on now seeing Black Widow, 
eventually looking forward to watching Shang-Chi uh, when that comes out in November on Disney Plus to see where that would rank. So lots of stuff coming at Matt Goes to the Movies. So to all the listeners out there, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, we look forward to bringing you some more stuff. Until next time.